Hello and welcome back to New Paradigm Healing. This series focuses on ayahuasca-assisted therapy. Our intention is to educate, inform, and support the conscious and responsible use of ayahuasca in the Western context. If you want to know more about ayahuasca-assisted therapy and our upcoming trainings and workshops, sign up for our mailing list to be the first one to know about the latest news at avatarhealingarts.com. Welcome to all of the audience, all of our listeners. This is Nina with Ayahuasca Assisted Therapy. And I'm super excited today to have a guest, Carlos Tanner, who is the founder of the Ayahuasca uh, Foundation. And um, yeah, I, I don't know him yet. So this is like our first time of having a conversation as well. But uh, we met through a Clubhouse, like I heard him uh, talk in a room that we were together and I really resonated um, with his energy and the message that he was bringing through. So I'm just excited to share this space and especially because I think it's so important that uh, healers who are um, working with the integration process have contacts with uh, centers and retreat centers and we all kind of, you know, uh, cooperating and helping each other and serving people together. So I'm very excited. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you, Carlos, for sorry for being here today. Welcome. And I'm going to just give you a chance to, yeah, to introduce yourself and tell a little bit more about like who you are, how did you come across, you know, working with this beautiful plant and how did it change your life and, and what is that you are doing right now? All right. I'll try to keep that short. Um, yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's a it's a pleasure to be a guest on this and to get a chance to talk with you as well as to talk about my own thoughts and ideas. Uh, my name is Carlos Tanner. I was born in the United States and um, how I found the medicine. Um, my first introduction to the idea of ayahuasca was through Michael Harner's book, The Way of the Shaman. Um, Unfortunately, he took that chapter out uh, of recent publishings, but in the early publications, it did start with a chapter about his introduction to shamanism, which was through ayahuasca. And, um, and that's really how I learned about it. Then I read at the same time, uh, which would have been my teenage years, uh, Carlos Castaneda and, you know, got interested in that. And that would then lead to reading the book, uh, Food of the Gods. Um, and, and then getting into Terrence McKenna. And so all of those pieces like were very important, I guess, uh, influences for me that rose my curiosity about ayahuasca. And then I had the chance to um, try ayahuasca in Massachusetts, where I'm from, um, with someone who claimed to be from the Santo Daime Church. I really hope that he wasn't from the Santo Daime Church, to be totally honest, because it was... Um, like totally unorganized and and pretty like pathetic in a way but it was ayahuasca um I, at that point i kind of came to a realization that i probably already knew that i i this wasn't the, the way i wanted to experience it and so i would make a vow i guess that i wanted one day to go to the amazon rainforest and um along the way in my life i got a career and started like adulthood, I guess you could say, you know, graduated from college and got a job that I thought I would have for the rest of my life, because that's what we're conditioned to think that a career means. And, um, and then I became quite miserable. 
uh, my career I felt was really stifling, but the conditioning was so strong that I felt that it was just a part of what it meant to be an adult. You know, like you just uh, give up on uh, your connection to uh, nature and, and mystery and, and you just start, you know, making money and, and getting stuff. And uh, I wasn't satisfied by that, but I accepted it as my reality. So to cope with the lack of satisfaction, I turned to heavier drugs, painkillers, opiates, and wound up with a pretty um, severe opiate addiction. And so I was, um, you know, like using heroin sometimes before work on my way to work uh, and certainly after. And, and it was kind of causing a downward spiral kind of. It was definitely causing a very downward spiral in my life that culminated in me waking up in my car underwater because I had blacked out behind the wheel driving home from a bar uh, where I had been taking drugs and drinking and driven. I drove my car into a river. I um, luckily was able to swim to shore, save my life and watch my car like sink completely underwater, having no idea how I got there. And at that point, I had hit rock bottom and I made a real declaration to myself and to the universe that I would do something drastic to change the course of my life and to really save it. I knew that I was using opiates, um, at least on some level of my consciousness, to numb the feeling or awareness that I wasn't following my path anymore. And so part of that declaration was really to like get back onto the path that I felt was really meant for me in this life. A couple of days later, I got a random email from someone who was in Iquitos, Peru, an old friend I hadn't spoken to in a long time. She happened to be traveling through Iquitos right at that time and had found two guys from Russia that said they were working with a real shaman. She remembered when I had told her about my ayahuasca experience and how I wanted to go to the Amazon one day to drink ayahuasca with a real shaman. And so she thought to write to me. The timing was such that I didn't see it as a coincidence. I really saw it as the response of the universe to my declaration that I wanted to make a drastic change and get back onto the true path of my life. So when I accepted her offer and bought my plane tickets and flew down to the Amazon rainforest, it wasn't to try ayahuasca. It was really to fulfill my destiny. I knew that it was going to be a radical transformation in my life that would bring me back in alignment with my path and my calling as a human being in this life. So that was an important setup. You know, I, 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 I knew that that would be the outcome. I felt it. And, and that was the outcome. Um, I did make a massive transformation where I found the roots of traumas that were at the, the true cause of my addiction, as well as a lot of other problems in my life, probably all of them, and, uh, and was able to resolve that trauma in the most remarkable and amazing way, as well as to understand and treat physical problems that I'd been dealing with, with for years that doctors couldn't diagnose. And it was all just so absolutely fascinating. And in the third ceremony, the Corandero Don Juan told me it was my path to be a healer and he invited me to be his apprentice. I accepted his offer and that was in May of 2003. In 2004, January 4th, I flew back to Iquitos, Peru, having wrapped up all the loose ends of my life in the United States and said goodbye and started a whole new life as uh, Corandero's apprentice in the Amazon rainforest. I moved in with Don Juan and his family and I lived with him for four years. At the end of that, 
I came up with the concept for the Ayahuasca Foundation and in 2009 started this nonprofit organization based out of Iquitos, Peru. Started working with a Shipibo Porandero named Don Enrique. Eventually his wife as well and his two brothers all joined together uh, on our team. And to this day, I still work with that family, the Lopez family, and we work within the Lopez Mahua tradition, offering educational courses like the one that your guest Dean did and how I met him, um, and also healing retreats. And more recently in 2017, we opened the Riospo Research and Retreat Center, where we started hosting research funded by the British Medical Research Council. And that research was recently published in the journal Frontiers in Psychiatry that showed some really jaw-dropping results, especially with regard to epigenetics. It was the first ever epigenetic study on a psychedelic and it showed that there was a permanent change to genetic expression as a result of doing an ayahuasca retreat, specifically with a genetic marker associated with depression. So that suggests that there could be a cure for depression through the use of uh, ayahuasca plant medicine traditions. And we're going to be exploring that further in our stage two study that's currently underway. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for sharing all of this. I made so many notes. It's, it's uh, wow, such a juicy story. I have so many questions. And yeah, first of all, thank you for sharing your story and uh, just, you know, being vulnerable. And I think it's so important that people, um, you know, see where, you know, the healers are coming from and also the integrity of the people and the healers. I think it's very important that we are transparent about, you know, all story and how, you know, we find our way to this medicine and through the medicine, you know, we're called into kind of like a higher service. So thank you for, you know, uh, sharing your story with, with everybody who is listening right now. And, uh, well, I would like to start with, um, you know, just re re referring to some of the points that you made this 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 kind of existential anxiety or disease that a lot of people experience uh, especially who end up working with this medicine or any kind of other transformational tool of this kind of inner division within us that uh, the conditioning that you were talking about that tells us what we should do and how we should live and then there is that kind of inner voice or true voice or higher self or whatever people want to call it that is you know, calling you to the direction to your dreams and destiny. And I think that this is something I just wanted to point out because I believe a lot of people can uh, connect to this, especially now at this time, you know, in the planet all around the world that, you know, that this feeling of this ease in a way of not being at ease <laughs> with how our life is and what we are doing and knowing somehow deep deep in our soul in our hearts that this is not the right path this is not the right thing to do but somehow you know not even maybe not even seeing another path or another alternative of what i would do if not this so i i can really really uh, relate to that and um, a lot of times what happens is, uh, as you mentioned in your story, that you come into uh, like a rock bottom or dark night of the soul or breakdown, breakthrough, whatever people want to call it, like a wake up call when something happens, when you really become aware that you have to choose, you know, that you have a choice and you have to choose, you know, how you want to live your life, really. And, um, and then I think 
that is the moment which is the start of the journey for me you know when you make that choice even before you sit in a ceremony or you actually come with the medicine but when you make that inner choice and that inner commitment that you're going to honor yourself and follow yourself and 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 follow that voice and that knowing and that calling that you are feeling and uh, i think that's where i count you know like if, if there is a beginning of course you know everything is just going on all the time but it's really you know the beginning of the journey and then as you said that there is a perfect timing if the medicine comes to your experience or calls you as you said many people experience you know the medicine i certainly had a lot of opportunities but i i felt very strongly that I want to go to the source, I want to go to the jungle, I want to go to Peru, and and uh, that I, I need to honor that calling. So uh, there is a perfect timing, you know, when you're ready, when everything is ready, and I think that in, involves already an element of trust, you know, to know that and to surrender to that. And um, obviously, uh, what you said, your intention, I always talk about this with people in the preparation part that your intention is just so important, what you put out, what you call in, as you said that you called in that you want to change your life and you want to step into your destiny and, and your higher service and, 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 and you, you intentionally call this in and declare this to the universe and align yourself with this. I think this is very important for people to understand that will shape your whole experience, you know, on this path, because you're going to attract people, places, events that are aligned with that intention and with that vibration, the same way as you found this beautiful family and these lineages and these places that you were in, put in touch with. So oftentimes when people don't have a strong or clear intention or don't have intentions at all, they can end up maybe in people, places, events that not necessarily, you know, the, the highest vibration or all the most, you know, aligned, you know, in many ways. So um, I wanted to um, just uh, refer back to that. And definitely, you know, what you said about the radical transformation. I love radical transformation. Um, that's definitely what 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 what's happening and i think this is beautiful but also it is so intense and i really resonated with what you shared that the medicine helped you and guided you to go to the root of the problem the root of the disease the, the core of the trauma whatever it was that caused the imbalance the fragmentation the misalignment and and becoming aware of it obviously having a choice to to transform it to heal it to let it go and that you know results in an incredible healing and transformation on every level just as you mentioned you know physical mental emotional spiritual and uh, oftentimes i feel that we have these strong stories with the medicine i shared my story you know many uh, times on this podcast because um, you know this is all, almost like a catalyst and an inspiration than to than to be naturally in service because you had this experience and you I think it's a natural um, urge you know to want to help people you know to as you 
had yourself and as you were guided and had and to share this gift of, of healing and freedom and empowerment what we received you know uh, through this journey with this particular medicine and uh, i also love you know thank you for your work and for your service with the foundation and laying you know um, grounds of certain structures that we need to create in the West because we don't have this, because we don't have understanding or culture or history with this particular plant. So I think it's so important what you do to create these bridges, you know, between the two cultures and the two worlds, like the two worlds of like, you know, worldview or understanding and to have people to, to merge it, not to choose or to judge or or to to think that it is better or worse but to really synthesize and integrate you know uh, certainly my experience also with the medicine in my healing was that it gave me that 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 higher view that spiritual uh, higher perspective or bigger perspective whatever you want to call it that that helped me you know to to see things in a different way and therefore to change and heal and um, it, you know this is certainly one of the gifts that um, people can find you know if they work with this medicine so uh, my my question is I would like to ask first about the, the healing retreat so uh, what what is the kind of format that what kind of clients you are working with or you you is there is there any kind of requirement what is the format you do um, tell me a little bit more about it how how can people um, reach you what are you know what is the preparation you know that you are including in this mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we offer retreats that range from 10-day retreat, 18-day retreat, four-week empowerment course, and eight-week initiation course. So I do call the first two retreats and the second two courses um, to distinguish that there are a lot more educational elements in the latter and much more focus on the treatment in the former. Um, so the first two programs, the 10-day retreat, uh, which is the retreat that we have starting in about two weeks, um, it's the shortest retreat. It includes five ayahuasca ceremonies led by the Corandero Don Rono Lopez, who's Shipibo. And so we follow the Shipibo plant medicine treatment. The, um, the rundown, I guess, for the 10-day and the 18-day would be an expanded version of that with a couple more treatments included that aren't on the 10-day but the 10 day retreat would start by getting to the center, um, getting settled in and then having a first ceremony that night that we refer to as our diagnostic ceremony um, in the tradition with the Shipibo or at, at the very least with the Lopez family tradition. If you were to go to receive treatment, just like going to see your doctor, um, there would need to be tests done uh, there would need to be, you know, an analysis to figure out what the proper diagnosis was that would lead to the proper prognosis or treatment plan. So that's what the first ceremony is, and we do that right away uh, on the first night. The next day starts the treatment, and there's a general treatment plan that everyone is encouraged to follow, um, but then there are personalized treatments on top of that. So our treatment plan starts with a digestive cleanse using a purgative called Sangre de Grado, which is like a, um, it's kind of like a gritty 
hand cleanser that mechanics might use or something, but you're going to use it or, or the participants use it for their cleansing of their stomach, and, which allows them to absorb their food better, to absorb nutrients better, and also to help to treat um, certain nicks and cuts that might be in stomach lining, ulcers, acid reflux, things of that nature, to essentially start a reset on the gut biome um, so that it can be rebuilt and create a new baseline that is neither you know, acidic or too uh, alkaline, but just like right what the body wants it to be. And so all throughout the 10 day diet, a very, very careful diet of food is provided um, that is non-stimulant so that it doesn't create any imbalances as this new baseline is set with the, the gut biome. And that also cleanses the digestive system and that starts the whole process. Um, our immune system is, is founded in our digestive system as well. Um, and so then that day you'd have a personalized treatment to go over what you might need. I'm sorry, a, a consultation to go over what you might need an, in personal treatment with the Corandero. And then you'd start your, your daily remedies um, that day and you take those every day. So there's three daily remedies. One that is um, based on the plant Pinon Colorado, which is a circulation cleanser or really circulation enhancer. It increases circulation and oxygenation to the uh, cells. And then the second one is an anti-inflammatory based on turmeric. And the third is based on what we call the sensitive plant, but in Shipibo it's called Tantiral, which increases sensitivity. So those are medicines that people take orally, uh, liquids that they drink uh, three times a day, every day throughout the retreat. And then vapor baths, they're the first treatment as well, or one of the first treatments. Uh, vapor baths are detoxing, they open up the pores, you sweat out your toxins, you also breathe in the medicinal plants that are boiled along with the water to create the vapor in the vapor baths. And that is the beginning phase of treatment, I guess you could say, um, which is the, the really the detox, the cleansing phase. Um, that's coinciding with uh, the ceremony. So by the time you get to the second ceremony and ceremonies are every other day. So there are five ceremonies over the 10 days the first, third, fifth, seventh, and ninth days or nights. Um, and when you go to the, your second ceremony, you've already done, you know, like nine different treatments or at least taken doses of uh, at least five different treatments. And, and that contributes greatly to your experience in the ceremonies. There's also a respiratory system cleanse with a plant called Mukura a central nervous system cleanse with a plant called Chirik Sanango, and then smoke baths in the middle of the retreat serve as a protection for the detoxing, the cleansing that took place. And then the second half or the end of the retreat is with cold water baths or water that is not boiled, but just soaked with plant medicines. And that is to add positive energy. So you can kind of look at it like you remove negativity and you protect yourself and then you add positive uh, positivity or positive energies. Um, and, and then, yeah, there's throughout the retreat there, we use complementary practices like uh, yoga, meditation, breath work, massage, and counseling. And those are uh, contributed by our facilitation staff who are also apprentices in the tradition. And, and yeah, that's the, uh, like a, a sum up of our 10 day retreat, our 18 day retreat 
goes deeper than that. So we include a second purgative for the digestive system that also cleanses the lower digestive system as well as the blood with a plant called Ohe. And uh, we use a stronger respiratory cleanse in addition to the Mukura later on with a plant called Satyamango. So it just takes the same principles of cleansing and same uh, treatment of the various systems of the body and to a deeper level um, with the 18 day retreat. And then the, the uh, empowerment course is essentially like a two week retreat and a two week course combined into one. And the eight week course is specifically for people that feel a call to the medicine that feel like it is their path as well to provide them with the basic principles of ideology and methodology within the Shipibo tradition so that they have right understanding and right practice as they embark on what is a lifelong journey. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, because I think many people just from the West cannot imagine, you know, what a retail or a retreat entails. And I know that it's very different at different places. So thank you for sharing what is happening at, at your place. And yeah, I was trained with the, in the people lineage as well with the Shipibos. And um, anyway, I'm sharing my experience. It is a pretty intense experience. As you described, there is that not just dieting the ayahuasca, but dieting different medicinal plants at the same time, being in a very restricted diet. And uh, also having other types of additional treatments and sessions, you know, between the ceremonies. So thank you for pointing this out to people again as we are talking about specific settings is not all retreats are like that but definitely this is a shipibo style a deeper very intense uh, experience especially i feel if somebody coming from the west you know from a completely different way of healing and medicine and, and so on and so forth so my question would be that do you screen people in any way? How do you screen people? Do, and do you have any contraindications when you turn somebody away and you say, maybe this is not the best for you right now in this moment? Yeah, to, to uh, uh, register for one of our retreats, you do have to fill out what I consider to be a pretty lengthy form. Uh, we do ask for a lot of health details, mental health details, as well as physical health details. I will say that there are... A, a few red flags, but really not that many. I, I would, you know, I really don't want to um, turn anyone away. That being said, I have turned people away. Um, I have, you know, made recommendations. And so when a person registers, you know, I, I review their, their registration form. And on a few occasions, I have seen those red flags, which would be specifically schizophrenia or types of psychosis. Um, you know, if it's something like borderline personality disorder or bipolar, I will usually try to set up further communication, have a conversation, um, because unfortunately with mental health, a lot of those diagnoses are not, you know, testable. You don't like get diagnosed bipolar because of a blood test, for example. It's, it's really kind of a judgment call on the individual that makes the diagnosis. And, and so you know, I'm open, I, I want to stay as open as possible, that perhaps that diagnosis isn't the most accurate. And perhaps especially with bipolar, for example, like bipolar, if you cut, if you caught anybody on the wrong at the wrong time in their life, they could probably end up with a bipolar diagnosis, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure that if you 
had found me at the wrong time in my life, I could have ended up with a bipolar diagnosis. We, we literally are like bipolar. We have two poles, like that's kind of a scientific fact. So, you know, it's almost like you're, you're, I'd be worried if you weren't bipolar, it's really a spectrum, you know, um, and like so many and, and everything within the mental health field is, is really on a spectrum. Uh, I want to add a couple things that I think tied in, if it's okay, with what you were saying originally, and then what I was talking about secondarily. Um, you know, I described what happens when you get to Peru, um, and I and and that's certainly the retreat. That's the the most common perception is that is the retreat. But to me, the retreat, like on that spectrum idea, spreads farther out in a timeline that really starts with the registration because at the moment of registration is the commitment. You know, there is a decision that sets in motion an entire chain of events that are physiological, emotional, mental, and spiritual within your own personal life. And it's very, very common to hear that once a person registers for a retreat, a lot of shit starts coming up for them, you know, before there's any like travel plans or any, you know, like before any uh, concept of, of arriving at the Amazon rainforest comes into play. And so that really is the beginning of the retreat. And so I offer counseling sessions before participants arrive uh, to Peru to help guide that part of the retreat. And I really like specifically shape the timeline that way. So I, I actually suggest to them like, hey, let's choose this date as the retreat date. And, and let's say this is part one of the retreat and part two of the retreat, it will actually take place in Peru. And then part three of the retreat will be when you return home. And oh. let's change the timeline so that we look at this healing process accurately. Which, which is that there's a, a true preparation and there's a true healing process that is at, at work in that pre-Peru part of the retreat. And then the participation part of the retreat is, is the part that you're actually in Peru ingesting the plant medicines, working directly with the, with the Shipibo plant medicine tradition and the Coranderos themselves. And then there's that super important integration section of the retreat. And, and so to think that like, it's not starting yet just because you haven't gotten on a plane or haven't arrived at the center, I think would be inaccurate and detrimental, or at least would um, you'd miss out on potential benefit to think about it that way. And then also to think that it's over when you leave the retreat center or get on the plane and get back home, I think would also cause you to miss out on some really important benefit that would come from the continuation and the integration process that's really a necessary step to solidify that transformative experience into your lifestyle and the influences that would continue your decision-making processes as you move forward. So I just wanted to point that out. And I think that alludes to when you were talking about the journey and when it starts. Um, you know, I totally understand, like I would say that my, my journey started when I went to Peru. But I also know, and I even spoke about like, well, I found that book, Way of the Shaman. Why did I want to read Way of the Shaman? Why did I want to read the uh, Castaneda books? Why did, why did I love Terrence McKenna so much? You know, a lot of other people didn't. You know, like I know a lot of people that weren't interested in that. 
And, and so clearly like my journey started, you know, like you kind of said, like there was no real beginning to it. And, and in a way, I kind of think that those are great connections to think about, you know, like, yeah, I had my Peru retreat, you know, like I had my trip to Peru where I say that my journey began or my transformation took place. But in reality, I had set in motion an entire series of chain events that were all connected, including my heroin addiction and including my life spiraling out and including my decision to have a career and the conditioning that I thought I was listening to, but struggling with like all of that were all key components. Had I not woken up in my car underwater as a result of being so spiraled out of control in my drug addiction, I don't think I would have ended up in the Peruvian Amazon. So like, thanks so much to my heroin addiction, I found myself following a path that is so truly fulfilling for me. And I hope that that maybe can be helpful because I don't want it to be a situation for anyone that might be watching or listening to this that like, oh, why can't I find my path kind of situation? Like you are on your path. I guarantee it. You are definitely on your path. It might be the part of the path where you're like still getting to the mountain that you're going to climb, but that's part of it too. You don't just show up magically at the mountain that you're going to climb. People that climb Mount Everest, there's this massive story that they all tell of how they actually got to the foot of the mountain, you know, even though the meat of the story, the juicy part is the climb itself. The reality is that there's always this lengthy path that gets us there. And no matter where you are in your life or how you feel, you're on your path. It just hasn't gotten to the part that you want to write about or, or you know, tell the story about. But you will. You'll include it later. I so agree with that. Totally resonate with that. And I think, you know, it's totally a life is a connected chain of events and it all makes sense, you know, in retrospect, <laughs> more than sometimes, you know, being in the present moment. Um, yeah, but as specifically, you know, we were talking that with this medicine, if there is a beginning of the journey is when you say yes to the calling of this medicine when you sign the registration to the retreat or with my clients when they sign the agreement for my program and when or even before they sign when they have that internal yes you know uh, that that i would say could be if people you know people like to get points and endings and beginnings if that that could be a point to to point out to people and to really emphasize what you said that there is a preparation process so it's not an event the at the ceremony is not an event this is a journey and there is a preparation and the ceremony i call the initiation part and then the integration which is the embodiment and actually you know uh, i i do in my program three months prep with the people because exactly you know what you're saying because once you say yes things there is a pre-purge that's happening you know so the pre-sessions that i have with people have them to move through those fears and things that are arising have it it, uh, it uh, creates a space to educate themselves of the journey in general you know to to explain to them that things will get worse before they get better so on and so forth so 
when they are in the intensity, you know, there is more relaxation and surrender. So I do quite a bit of work then also helping people to clarify their intention. You know, why are you doing this? What is that you're looking for? What is, you know, because sometimes people don't even know, as you said, you know, I don't like this. I don't want this, but I don't know what I want. I'm confused. So there is definitely it's very crucial that people understand that it's not just a physical preparation, which is the one or two weeks of physical detox or restricted diet, but there is a mental, emotional, spiritual preparation and you are going into a sacred ceremony. So you wanna, I always tell to people, you wanna present yourself, you know, in a way, in your best way that you cannot just coming from the street without, you know any thought about it but it's it's really it's also honoring yourself honoring your journey honoring your experience that you are committed and you take this seriously and also you understand that it's not an event that and and it's not a magic pill that suddenly will change everything and uh, you know in the integration as you said that's where i feel a lot or or maybe i can say i feel the most of the healing happens there because even though we are able to shift things instantaneously you know in in energetic realms it still takes place physically in the material physical world to to go through a healing and i feel that if i would have released you know all the pain and the trauma that i went through processing in my integration all at once one event probably i would have gone crazy you know what i mean probably i would have not been able to handle the amount like mentally emotionally even my physical body so i believe that there is a, an intelligence a conscious intelligence that is guiding that integration process and and pacing it out for you to know it to to, to bring those pieces back because it is very intense and we need these moments of sit with something and breathe into some moments and 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 you know all the damage that we carry and all the pain that was created for a long long time you know and passed down so it will take some time to un unravel it and i think that's also super important for people to understand you know that this is something that you actively participate in and not something that happens to you or some somebody is doing it to you. This is a participatory pro process. And as you said, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to heal, to set yourself free, to experience more joy, to open your heart, to come back into your wholeness, into your alignment, you know, into um, your true self, whatever you wanna, wanna say. And um, in my program, I have one year of integration with people when we do, we do a circle through the medicine wheel. And uh, the way I do it, that first they get personal sessions like every week and then every two weeks, every three weeks, and then once a month. So there is a, you know, there is a kind of as people stabilize and ground in their new awareness and practice, you know, those new behaviors and solidify them they will need less and less support, you know, and, and that's the goal of the integration that they learn to navigate and hold space for themselves and handle, you know, whatever. So, uh, so good that you are, you, you are talking about it. I would like to ask um, 
just with the preparation and the screening, yeah, just uh, obviously schizophrenia and, and mental psychosis would be a contraindication, as you said. I would like to ask the three specific questions. Do you have any age minimum requirement with the youngest person that you can receive? Is pregnancy contraindicated? What, what, what about if somebody is pregnant? And what about if somebody is med medication, especially on SSRIs like serotonin blockers? All right, we do have a, an age limit. Um, it's 18 years old. Um, you know, that's basically just for legal reasons. We are, you know, operating in another country where almost entirely that our guests are traveling out um, from countries outside of Peru. And, um, you know, just to have cross international borders and to make a decision like that. So we have the minimum age is 18. We don't have an age requirement at, at the other end. I think 80 is the 80, or maybe some, someone over 80 has attended, but definitely someone 80 attended. Um, with regard to uh, pregnancy, we I, I've never had a person who was pregnant like apply or register for a program. Um, you know, I would probably want to have a conversation with them about it. It's not a, you know, it's such a personal thing um, that it would really come down to the specifics of that particular person or each particular person. Um, I don't have a, a general prohibition against it. I've drank ayahuasca with pregnant people before, but not retreat participants. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm, I, I would guess if I were to say generally, I would say it is safe, but you know, it, there's a lot of details that could make it potentially unsafe, um, which would want I would want to like flesh out and through discussion. Um, and in terms of SSRIs, yeah, that we insist that no one be taking any anti-depressant uh, medication. We actually like go full on just requesting that no medication be taken. There are, um, you know, very few exceptions. How long before the retreat they have to come off of all medication? I, uh, we say two weeks, but I, you know, I say the, the longer, the better. Um, there are certain medications where I'll, you know, have a conversation and say that it can be shorter. I've done a lot of research into pharmaceutical medications as a result of that. So I, get to know like a lot of medications, even with, um, you know, even with the antidepressant medications, there is like a wide variety of antidepressant medications, some of which, so with anti-medication, I'm sorry, with antidepressant medication, we do say four weeks, um, but, but there are some that I know it would, you could take up to two weeks. Um, Prozac, however, is, is a great example of one that you definitely don't want to take within four weeks of, of drinking ayahuasca. Um, you know, all of those, there are like generalities, but I, I always will follow up. And, you know, as long as it, as long as everyone's fine with it, then there's no issue. But sometimes people will contact me and say, well, you know, I really think I need this one, or is there any way I could take it, you know, up closer to when the retreat begins, and then I'll do some research to try to figure it out. And, and come up with like the best plan for each person if if they feel like it's a requirement or would help them. Uh, ultimately, I want to, I focus a lot more on people's headspace or, or where they're at on the consciousness level emotionally. So, um, you know, I that's a certainly a component of it. 
um, you know, if someone is like racked with anxiety and, um, and they could take medication that they have been taking, that would help to ease their anxiety. You know, could I have some leeway? And, and sometimes those anti-anxiety medications flush out of the system completely in less time. And so, you know, it's, it's always like a, a balance per person. Um, and the same with the preparation diet, actually, you know, uh, I was just talking with someone that seemed to have a real strong dependency to coffee. And, um, you know, it seemed like cutting out coffee in their preparation was going to cause them uh, a lot of suffering, at least the way they described it. Um, so that was an interesting conversation to, that. <laughs> to, uh, to talk with them about, um, you know, what it means to have a healthy relationship and, and understanding dependency and then weighing out, you know, what you're willing to give up to achieve your goals. And, you know, are you, are you willing to, to make those types of sacrifices for the benefit of achieving your goals and intentions? And, and then also like, um, you know, I don't want someone to come with a negative attitude because of what they've been through in their preparation. You know, I don't want someone to show up and like basically be mad at me or mad at our organization or mad at ayahuasca because they like blame me for like forcing them to give up things that were helping them feel more balanced or, or more pleasure even. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of this, um, this personalized, unique search for each person. Uh, sometimes, I mean, sometimes people are just totally fine and, and they get it, but I, I guess I focus more on consciousness than I do on the physical elements of it uh, with the, with the very marked exception that, you know, with certain medications, like SSRIs, I don't play around. I, I'm not going to like make it okay for you to take something that could be potentially dangerous on a physical level but most of the time it's not that way most right. of the time you know i'll say like look the the amount of damage that anxiety will cause in going into a ceremony is not is is so much more than what eating a piece of chocolate cake or drinking a cup of coffee will do you know so like if giving up the the, the coffee or the cake is going to cause the anxiety, then don't give it up, you know. Um, but but I always try to frame it in that reference to what you're willing to give up, you know. And I think that um, as someone who is married, actually, it's a, it's a wonderful example, like of when you're willing to give up, um, you know, anything for another person. That is a demonstration of the depth of your care and love. And so, if you Absolutely. can. You know, if you can like reflect upon that in terms of the healing process and how much do you care about the healing process, then almost naturally there will be a willingness to give up whatever it takes to achieve that healing. Okay. And just, you know, offering it as an invitation instead of a, like a rule or a requirement. I really like that. And as you said, you know, apart from very few occasions, it is a very individual <clears throat> process, you know, to, to determine what is good for a person, because what is good for one person, it might not be the best to another person. And this is so true. And that's one of the beauty of this medicine for me, that we are drinking literally the same medicine like prepared by the same person in the same space 
and we are all having completely different experience because you know it we have our personal journey and our personal healing as well so um i i love that that you give this personal attention and and you know um just off like judge each case you know on a personal basis apart from you know these few exceptions that that we mentioned what about if i can add to that um, because i think it's a brilliant time to maybe talk about that but um you know we come from a very materialist paradigm in the west you know modern culture and if you wanted to call it the you know our science um, is is very material focused is very material centric even when we talk about consciousness we tend to talk about it like if you have a mental disorder it's a chemical disorder you know it's like i i, I need to see the pieces i need to the, to hold something in my hand i need to be able to like measure it and 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 test it and and see the consistency of it it's very very material based even in the understanding of consciousness it is very material based which to me is kind of humorous but it's really our relationship which is non-material that determines whether something is harmful or beneficial for us it is not the substance you know if you have if you drink coffee and it's a wonderful medicine for you because it's certainly a very powerful medicinal plant then that that's a healthy relationship but if you have a dependency where if you don't drink a cup of coffee you'll get sick or you'll get headaches or you'll suffer then chances are you do not have a healthy relationship with that it's not the coffee it's not the substance it's not the material it's your relationship with it there are plenty of people that drink alcohol and alcohol is a is i mean is a whole category of medicines they're all medicinal plant extracts that's why we call them spirits and if you have a good relationship with them then they will help you but there is a lot of people that have bad relationships with alcohol and they are harmful the difference isn't the alcohol it's definitely your relationship to it and that goes way beyond just medicines but of course it's the key ingredient to whether something is a drug or whether something is a medicine the same exact substance different relationship and so how we relate is what we should be focusing on in my opinion how we relate to what we're ingesting how we relate in 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 every aspect of our lives and to me the shipibo tradition recognizes that and focuses on that and a plant dieta is a perfect example of how it emphasizes the importance of our relationship rather than the substance itself and that's why ayahuasca ceremonies produce such a wide spectrum of personal experiences because everyone relates to the medicine in their own unique way and if we focus on the relationship then i think that we gain the most ability to affect change for the positive for our own benefit than if we focus on the substance but we in the west don't it's hard for us to think that way you know even if you see headlines on scientific research about ayahuasca it will almost always say ayahuasca does this like ayahuasca grows new brain cells that, that was the headline i just read this year and and it, you know it just ignores the relationship 
Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with what you're saying. I so resonate with it. But I think, you know, that is the problem, you know, in the West that we have this disconnection from our spiritual nature and the spiritual aspect of reality, you know, and even people who might be religious, they not necessarily getting this aspect, you know what I'm saying? So obviously, um, this, this, this for me is like, as you said, relating, but so within so without so really is about all relationship to ourself first and foremost that's what I learned through the medicine and how does was that mirrored in you know uh, addictions or whatever you know what I like that is mirroring my relationship with myself and what the medicine helped me to understand and to do is that healing that primary relationship to myself and and really becoming aware how badly I treated myself, you know, inside of me. And that was this war within me. And to, to come back, you know, to love and compassion and to integrate myself and repair my primary relationship with myself and all aspects of myself. And then, you know, that what created the difference in my life, you know, that internal process and that happened in the integration that embodiment even though I had understandings and insights obviously and experience through my journeys with in the ceremonies but it took time you know to actually put that into practice you know and to stop the self-sabotage and the self-sacrifice you know and to empty and and let go of those things that I was carrying and I was not even aware of it and I, that I was holding so how do you like support people you know once they leave the retreat and how do they do you stay in touch with them do you connect with them somebody uh, are there people who are returning to you uh, on on a regular basis um yeah what is your experience about you know what we talked about the after what happened sure I, you know we don't have that many return uh participants maybe I would say less than 5% of participants return. There are I think some. That's a compliment, you know, because I think, you know, you don't, if you hear you don't need more medicine in a way, you know, that that's kind of like a compliment in a way. I see that I really received through the medicine that you are the healer and love is the medicine. And, you know, everything is just helping us to remember that. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, our goal really is to provide a transformative experience that won't require a return, uh, which also kind of goes against the modern medical paradigm, which really looks at a patient as a as a uh, customer. But um, I, in terms of aftercare, I also set up a, a counseling session that's included in the price of our retreats as an integration counseling session, and then I'm an integration counseling counselor, so. You know, anytime that someone wants to set up a session with me, I'm available. But we now have kind of a network of counselors. Um, and like you spoke with Dean, who worked for the Ayahuasca Foundation for nine years, um, he is available. Some of our other facilitators that worked with us for a number of years have their own counseling services or their own practices that they offer. And so we have those as references. Um, I might not be the best fit for someone, but they might find some really great results working with someone else from our organization. We do keep our references in 
the organization or at least people that I know and work with personally, I feel that's beneficial because if someone comes out of a retreat from our organization and they speak to someone that was a facilitator in our organization, whatever their story is, the facilitator knows like exactly what they're talking about because they know what dieta they did. They, they've done that dieta too. Like they know what treatment they did. They've done those treatments too. They've administered those treatments. So they really know the specifics of the retreat. Whereas if they were to um, go to maybe some, uh, uh, an, an integration counselor that isn't specifically familiar with how we operate in our tradition, then there would probably be some level of explanation which might lend itself to a loss of understanding completely about what the person is referring to. So we do have like a network of, of integration, counseling and practicing, as well as like a really wonderful community. We've had you know, over 1500 people visit our center and over 600 people do our courses. So there are communities all over the world of ceremonies, healing, treatments, and counseling that uh, services that can be attained or, or connected um, wherever a person may be after doing a retreat. So that's something that has developed like in a really wonderful way. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I agree, you know, that the best is if you can offer integration support as well, because obviously, you know, specific to the experience and and to the place and so on and so forth. But uh, I would like to share this and I, I would like to hear your take on this that I receive quite a bit of people who come to me after they've been through a retreat or something and they come across with my book or my content or podcast or whatever and they realize that they need integration because they don't feel good but they never even heard about it you know what I mean like you are educating people about this part but unfortunately there is a lot of retreats and centers who who are um, just you know don't even talk about what happens is like okay goodbye go home thank you for your participation good luck with everything this is real and uh, I found that um, even though as you say everybody has a very individual journey but I found that there there is there is a common journey in all the integration and that's what I was writing about the book this framework that it's kind of going through a death and rebirth cycle or you know the medicine or however whatever map you want to use it I feel that people uh, go through that experience in their own way but there are these kind of milestones of you going into the dark night of the store there is trauma there's this uh, that's coming up you integrating that there are several kind of milestones that I observed that everybody went through it who, who was consciously you know doing this integration process what, what is your uh, take on this I can't say that I feel that everyone's process could be like put into certain categories. Um, I, I don't try to do that, I guess. So I'm not trying to identify like what I, what you might have just called milestones. Um, I, I really just kind of listen to what they're talking about. I would say that I focus entirely on consciousness. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm a monistic idealist in the sense that I don't believe anything exists other than consciousness. So clearly that means that I focus on consciousness because there is nothing but consciousness in my perspective. Um, 
And so, you know, that to me is where all of the healing takes place, obviously. Uh, I look at what I consider to be personal truths and the value of those personal truths. And I look at the healing process as the transformation of personal truths from detrimental to beneficial. And, and so my integration counseling focuses a lot on the continuation of that transformation. Uh, also, like it's a lot of um, memory exercises where I am encouraged like the fractalization or the expansion of those beneficial memories of personal truths and that so that they increase their influence on our responses and interpretations to future experiences. And I guess that would be really like what I would sum up in my view of uh, the integration process is really like increasing the number of memories that serve as influences to my responses and interpretations of future experiences. That's the first time I've said that. That was really a super summed up way of saying it. Um, in terms of the healing itself, I would say that very similar thing. I would say that uh, the healing itself is a transformation of detrimental truths into, into beneficial truths and that it is achieved through an expansion of awareness, uh, more specifically through the amplification of sensory perceptive ability that comes from the plant medicine tradition itself as a consciousness enhancement mechanism to surround and nurture the substance that also contributes to that sensory amplification. Um, and, and that's how I view like what psychedelic therapy is or more specifically what ayahuasca assisted therapy is. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective. Um, I have another question. I'm taking advantage that I'm talking to you here right now. So I want to mention what is really uh, coming up in the medicine circles now. And this is, you know, that some of the space holders and shamans and healers and retreat leaders, that the whole topic with the sexual abuse of women in these spaces, in these medicinal spaces. So I would like to ask you, um, does this affect you, your place, you know, that this is going on now in these circles? Like, do you have anything to say about it? And how do you create a safe place for people, you know, from this perspective? Well, unfortunately, it's been going on forever. Um, and it's not just because of the of the industry of ayahuasca tourism. Um, and it, it's not even just with plant medicine tourism. I mean, it's, it's basically everywhere. If you look into yoga, you'll see the scandals and the controversies. If you look into meditation, if you you know, look into religion, of course, those are the most obvious cases. And, and then again, if you look into the corporate world, anytime that there is a power uh, hierarchy, you're probably going to see uh, uh, exploitation and sexual exploitation will certainly be at the top of the types of exploitation that you see. Um, a lot of it to me is being addressed and I think it's being addressed really well um, you know, about educating participants, first of all, I think that there's a, 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 like a triple challenge when you're talking about the ayahuasca uh, industry or the ayahuasca tourism industry, because one, just there's a cross culture. And so 
you know, for the Shipibo, for example, there's uh, anthropology, anthropological uh, studies that show that, you know, like the way that Shipibo men and women interact is so very distinct than the way that, for example, American men and women interact. You know, for a, a woman in American society to give a man a hug doesn't usually mean that much. You know, you could easily give a man a hug because you just, you're happy to see them that day. You know, they're like a friend of yours. It doesn't mean that you have strong feelings for them, um, that you, you know, want to have intimate relations with them. Those meanings aren't directly implied by the hug itself, even though even within our culture, like the type of hug, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's still the potential for mixed messaging to happen in those instances. But in Shipibo culture, a hug is like very sexual. You know, a hug is like a very intimate uh, interaction that men and women don't share on a friendly basis. Um, and so, and I think a, a kind of an example is maybe handholding, you know, like we, we look at handholding as if it's very um, innocent in our culture, but yet, how often do you hold a man's hand you know like how I don't hold a woman's hand you know but yet we think of it as innocent but yet we actually also recognize that there's probably something that does get um, you know communicated in that gesture and so you know that element of the cross culture and and then you know that is like opening up the a giant can of worms really because whose culture is right, you know, like, whose, whose culture it, it should we follow? And am I, as a white person from America, going to go down to a, a different country and tell some people of a different race and a different culture how they should have their culture? You know, like, I don't think so. So, you know, that element is like, makes things very complex. Then the second element is that spiritual element where, you know, like we're a materialist paradigm where the modern world is very material. So we don't understand consciousness and we definitely don't understand spirit because those are non-material realms. And we really focus so much of our attention, if not all, on the physical realms, the, the material realms even to the point, like I mentioned, like where consciousness is a collection of chemical experiences, you know, like we want to look, we, we treat mental illness with chemicals um, and, and not successfully. So when we do come into, into in, um, contact with spirituality or more so with a spiritual person, then we really don't know what that means. It's so mysterious to us that there's this idea that we just make all these assumptions, you know, like, oh, if I have decided in my mind that you're a spiritual person, that goes along with you're a moral person, according to my morals, you're an ethical person, according to my ethics, there's a set of behaviors that you will follow according to how I dictate that set of behaviors. You know, there are all these kind of like assumptions that we just imply and then oftentimes impose with great trust that that is the way that it is. And unfortunately, that creates uh, what could be a potentially dangerous vulnerability.
now we're saying, well, that person would never do that. I've decided already they're a spiritual person. And along with spirituality comes all these things. And then that's like the classic case where you have your religious leader, your priest, your minister or whatever, you look at them as if they are the epitome of moral ethics and code, even within our culture where there's an agreement about what those ethics and morals are. And then they misbehave, they act outside of that, and you have this kind of willingness or, or, or whatever it is, but you like go along with it. And then only later do you realize, fuck, that was totally messed up, you know? And, and so there's better education, I would say, happening now through a lot of communications, just like you and I talking, but there's literature about it. And there's a lot more uh, discussion about it. There's, there's websites about it, you know, there's, there's forums. So I would say that there's a lot more education that tries to prevent the, I'll call it like the guruization of, of Coranderos. Um, and then also just to understand like that, hey, there's what you're comfortable with and what your boundaries are, are, are always valid and always, you know, deserving of your own decisions to step up, step back or, or do, you know, act accordingly. Uh, and then there is the, the, the consequence for the other people, you know, so then you have like what happens to a corandero should they act in that way? And, you know, those are the, the consequences. I honestly don't think that consequences are the primary reason why a person behaves the way they do or don't. Uh, otherwise, we probably wouldn't see so much misbehavior. But, but that is another contributing factor that with the internet, you know, if someone, if a corandero like does something that goes against their, the appropriate behavior, then it's like, you know, it's, it's out there, it goes viral, you know, like 100,000 people know about it the next day. Um, and so, you know, that element for sure, uh, I do think does contribute. And, and then there is a movement also, you know, for uh, equal rights to, to have that understanding to treat people equally. I do think that the United States is way ahead of a lot of other countries, specifically the countries where ayahuasca originates. Um, they're still, you know, coming along, I guess you could say in that. But even me just saying that, I don't know, like you could easily just said, I uh, just accuse me of racism right now because I said that, you know, oh, the, the, the brown people are coming along, you know, eventually they'll get to as far as the white people, you know, like, I don't know, it's a, it's a challenging time to say the least. Um, and then, you know, that third component, which is kind of like the second one, but the third one is that personal relationship. Um, and, and, the, and then there is a fantasy, you know, I, I know from personal, um, observation that there are times when someone has a fantasy about being partnered with someone they look up to um you know i guess maybe in our culture in in, in the u.s it would be like a a groupie mindset where you know you go to the concert and you've like fallen in love with this person that you don't know you've only witnessed them on stage performing but you felt so moved by their performance that you want to have some deeper intimate connection with them 
and then later, you know, realize that you're very regretful. And, and that's like a two-way street, I would say, because the Coranderos uh, are almost like thrown into this weird form of fame that they don't know. And then they're thrown in a form of fame where the messaging is so different than their own culture. And, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for, for anyone really, but there's clearly a lot of complexity involved. And so I would say that the industry itself, because it is a combination of cultures, you know, because there's this, this mixture of a lot of North American and European cultures with the South American cultures, there's an education in the staff of all of the um, centers themselves. And then there's also this education in the participants that go to those centers about learning that. So, I mean, I've been in this for you know, 15 years and, and I would say that it, I do feel like it's gotten much, much better in terms of having thank some sort of self-regulation. Yes. Thank you for offering this very extensive different perspectives, because I totally agree that this is so complex and, uh, you know, there are so many angles and definitely steps are being made, you know, uh, in terms of improving the situation. And I just want to point out to our listeners that what you mentioned just in a couple of points that obviously educate yourself, investigate before you go to a retreat, like um, listen to podcasts like this, listen to people and then talk to people who participated, you know, like normal places i'm sure if somebody calls you and say can you give me a reference that i can talk to who did your program you will give because i always offer references to my clients to talk to my ex-clients who went through the training and if they wish to speak to somebody so speak to a real person who was there and 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 you know and did experience it check out the place um do your uh, <clears throat> educate yourself and do your your work and do your research and then um as you said is uh, there is a part you know is that is intuition as well you know that your common sense and uh, expectations so on and so forth so i think that that's also comes into it you know and 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 i always say to people what we already mentioned your intention if you have a strong intention you know that you are doing this for the highest purpose of healing and awakening and being in service to yourself and to the world you will be guided you know into places with integrity and 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 authenticity and um, so there is a couple of things that people can do and i so resonate with you know bridging different cultures because i feel that in terms of the integration as well, this is the main problem for the Westerners that they go there, they emerged into this very different world. You just described one of the retreats. is, wow, you know, nothing that other people heard about, like no part of it they can relate. And then after this transform, as you said, radically transformational experience, they go back into their old environment that doesn't even have the understanding to hold context for this experience and that creates you know a lot of fear anxiety and and just things of what's going on here so i i feel i'm always a forever student and 
and this is part of the global integration, right? We have integration within ourselves or parts and integration as a human family, you know, and creating these bridges and listening to each other and understanding each other and, and, and bringing those things together so we can all bring our gifts and offer our best, you know, into that contribution and, um, and create a new standard, you know, for this, as you said. So it will be a naturally natural process for, for people to weed out kind of people with no integrity because there will be a standard that people right. will be aware of and they will follow and it will be created. And, and we are the ones creating it in a way, you know, that the right. people who went there and crossed the cultures and, and, uh, try to bring these things together does that make sense i'm sure that it makes sense to you well i think that to try to sum that up to like what the point that you were making um you know that intuition you want to have informed intuition and how you can create that informed intuition is by getting as much information as you can about the place that feels the best to you so you know most of people that are trying to figure out like what to do or where to go if they have decided that they think ayahuasca is the right path for them to take go to the internet and so if you go to the internet and you see a, a website that feels like that's the place you want to go to then reach out to them you know have direct communication maybe even try to set up a call uh, so that you can have uh, more information through that call that can inform your intuition even further. And if you get a bad feeling about it, then trust that your intuition is accurate and, and, and act upon it, you know, act accordingly. Um, I, I would say that there's probably like a common theme when there is some type of situation where there is a bad feeling, but then oftentimes our, our mind like tries to to rationalize out of it <laughs> yeah like you know and i got this bad feeling but then i thought you know and like then i thought oh no i that doesn't make sense you know like where we kind of think ourselves away from our intuition um and so you know i think a big part of what i try to do especially like with the empowerment course and it sounds a lot like what you're describing when when you say like you are the healer and the healing is love or the, or the medicine is love um we have a lot more information accessible to us. Uh, we have a lot more sense organs in our body than we name typically. You know, we just have the like five names of our senses, but we have way more than that. And, and we kind of group them all in this weird word intuition instead of like specifying them more specifically, but like all of our organs speak to us they they process information they take in information about what's going on inside of us as well as what's going on outside of us and it's just that we tend not to listen as well to those and probably because we don't recognize them as well it's a strange phenomenon that i bring up a lot where as human beings we one tend to think that we're not part of nature which is totally ridiculous but two that we recognize instinct as this kind of marvelous phenomenon in every being but ourselves. Like we don't really acknowledge our own instinct. 
but yet we, we can answer the question of how animals know to do certain things with instinct very easily. You know, we, we like, we acknowledge its existence. We are not in denial of instinct as a concept or a phenomenon that is observable only if you're talking about our own instinct. <laughs> and so the revival of instinct, which, you know, to me is the revival of a connection uh, allowing us to receive and understand messaging from a greater whole, that to me is like a big part of the healing process. And in that sense, like we are our own healers because we have the ability to revive that instinct and through that instinct and the trust of our intuition, we can guide ourselves down the path that's meant for us. Absolutely. I so, so um, resonate with this. I fear that what I went through and witnessed many people who walked, you know, the same, same path is this um, just really coming back into this internal guidance and this type of sovereignty and not relying on, on the external world in order to know what your next step is or how to proceed. And, uh, Obviously, when you rely on the external, is it constant anxiety because there is so many point of views and opposing contrast. And, you know, once you tune in and connect to that voice, there is one voice. So it's such a relief, you know, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense at the beginning, but, you know, once you start acting upon it, it, it all will make sense. That That is my experience. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for this conversation today and I definitely want to continue. I think we can talk for many hours and go into many areas and on this topic. And yeah, I just appreciate that we made this connection and, and we're sharing this conversation uh, with the world and with our audience. So just to wrap up our, our talk today, what is there something that you would like to communicate out to the world in this moment that you feel you want to bring across and emphasize? Well, I would go back to that comment about relationship. You know, to me, that is um, really the key to all of our lives. You know, what determines our satisfaction, our level of fulfillment, it, it's not uh, in the material realm and, and it's everything to do with our relationships. And that should be the focus of our attention and how we um, respond to our experiences is far more important than the experience. You know, that's, that's like a perfect example. Like we, we have a memory of, of all of the experiences in our past, but that memory is really the memory of how we interpreted our response to the experience. So, you know, whether you remember the first time you rode a roller coaster ride as like terrifying experience or a thrilling experience, has nothing to do with the roller coaster and everything to do with how you responded and interpreted and remembered your experience. And I think once you recognize that those are the most important elements, then you can enable yourself to be empowered. You know, you have so much more power because it's not about what happens to you or what happened to you in the past. It's about what you did, responding, interpreting, and remembering the experience. And that is, to me, very, very powerful because that enables me to go back. And yeah, I can't change what happened to me, 
but I can change how I interpret what happened to me. And in doing so, I will change how I remembered what happened to me. And that memory is the reality. My reality isn't what happened to me. My reality is how I remember what happened to me. And I can change how I remember what happened to me. That means that I can change something from a trauma to a lesson. You know, I, that means I can change something that I regret to what I am grateful for. That means that I have the ultimate power to determine what my reality is. And as I change my interpretations from the past, I ultimately change my responses in the future. And my ability to respond is my true superpower. <laughs> if we focus on our ability to respond, then we will truly understand what it means to take responsibility. Wow. Thank you so much. This was like such beautifully wrapped up and I, I was just making some notes, but yeah, you said it so, so well. I, I often say to, to people I work with that you can gauge your integration process, looking at your life and see how did your relationships change? Did your relationship with other people, to things, to yourself, to, to your behavior, whatever it is, and, and gauge if you are still feeling the same and in the same relationships or, or it is changing because that is a primary indicator, as you said, to that healing and that integration and that awakening and evolution that we are all going through, some people faster than others and uh, yeah responsibility a lot of people find this word you know a trigger word but i love it and especially that definition that you gave the ability to respond because this implies freedom from me and as you said we we are trapped you know in reaction which is just reacting you know unconsciously like a robot or a zombie so there is no freedom there so responsibility is a very positive word for me because it involves that freedom that as you said i can choose how do i respond i can choose how do i remember things how do i interpret things i can choose to change my mind to shift my perspective to shift my reality and then my reality shifts and uh, that is something that is truly you know liberating and, and empowering so thank you for that reminder and for our audience thank you for listening it's a little bit long but i hope that you enjoy this conversation and you get a lot of good things out of it and yeah just remember that you are the healer love is the medicine and check out the description where we're going to provide all the links to carlos's websites and offerings and all the other details and see you soon sending you oceans of love thank you love you